Welcome to Out of the Ordinary, the show that helps you grow a daily life that matters. I'm Lisa Jo Baker. And I'm Christy Purifoy. And thanks to our conversation today, Lisa Jo, I'm looking at the past 18 years very differently. Yeah, I guess this one goes out to all of us who have felt invisible when life feels nothing like the movies. Get comfy. Here we go. Here we are, Lisa Joe, digging into our ordinary days and those stories. But to be honest, September um, is not a very ordinary month in the life of my family. <laughs> Both of my daughters were born in September. Um, so with the sort of end of summer Labor Day holiday, everybody going back to school, and then two birthdays, like right in a row. September is actually pretty intense <laughs> and like special and celebratory and all the work that comes with that. So we just recently celebrated the 18th birthday of my firstborn and the ninth birthday of my youngest, who was born just after we moved here nine years ago. So the thing about birthdays, it's not only the party planning and the celebrating. For me, it's the remembering, it's the looking back and like everything that comes up at this time of year. So while I am eager <laughs> to celebrate and discuss our ordinary rhythms, let's be honest, we also have a lot of extraordinary rhythms that come up pretty regularly. And for me in September, that's the birthdays of my daughters. It's really wild for me to think about Lily being 18 and it's the month of September Wow, I've never put this together before because, as you know, that's the age I was when my mom passed away in the month of September. Mm. So it'd be like Lily being launched into the world now without you. It's hard to wrap your mind around that. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that actually does bring it home. You've shared so many stories here um, on the podcast, but also just with me personally about what that was like for you. But I picture... Even though I know you were young, you were a teenager, I still picture you as you because I know you. <laughs> but now to sit here and picture you as the age of my child who, okay, she's 18, she's a senior in high school, but she's still a baby, right? She's like <laughs> a little kid just figuring things out. That's, yeah, that, oh, Lisa Joe, <laughs> It's a strange thing. We weren't planning to talk about this, but it nope. just hit me as you said that. And I thought, oh, no, because I have an instinct to want to protect Lily, too, and be like, no one should be without their mom at this age. And I think about how you have been taking her to college campus visits and how it's been really fun since my husband, Pete, was a professor for many years. He's been so curious to hear where you've gone and what did you think of it and I love how you guys have made them such special experience every campus that you go and visit. And it's been so fun listening to Lily share. But it has also been for me a little surreal because that is exactly where I was at. I was graduating high school. I was thinking about college and I ended up coming to America. So can you imagine Lily like leaving the country? Wow. No, <laughs> no, we're, 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 we're not even trying to leave the state. Like, <laughs> Uh, yeah, right. she's not planning to go very far. <laughs> and I'll never forget, like, I just had no idea, no preparation. I flew to America and I'll never forget arriving in my dorm and then my roommates arriving with their entire families and then all of this decor and luggage and bedding, like how they had their comforters, their duvets, their 
quilt their grandma knit them, posters for the wall, little bathroom caddies that you would carry with you. I arrived in America with a suitcase and a backpack and nothing. The first night I slept, our RA from the dorm gave me like a sheet to put on my bed. I had no pillow, no blank, nothing. Like I was just stranger in a strange land with nothing. And I remember the next day she took us to some store I don't even, I don't even remember what it was because I was so unfamiliar with America. So it might have been Target, might have been Walmart. I, I have no idea. And I bought, um, I'd never experienced an American comforter that isn't like I'm used to a duvet that's like the feather insert you put mm-hmm, inside mm-hmm. a cover. But you know, in America, you can get, I think you call that a comforter where it's just like a, what, I don't know. Puffy blanket? It's a blanket <laughs> yeah. that's thick, yeah. you know, and it's so yeah. like, but it's already got the cover and the inserts are, are one. You can't separate them. And so it has like a pr- pretty pattern or whatever. But I remember the RA who took us was really tired and irritable. And I could tell the last thing she wanted was to be in the store shopping with this awkward international student. And I felt very pressured to choose a bet, choose bedding. Like you're going to need to sleep on something tonight. And I remember vividly choosing this duvet thing comforter and I really hated it like I hated the design I hated the color and I had it for the next four years four years (laughs) (laughs) and it's funny because it really was a symbol of how there wasn't anybody there like nobody helped nobody cared and so it's there wasn't anybody to help me pick out the perfect setup and so it's funny online around this time of year when you see parents sharing about taking their kid to college and oh my word what they do now how they build these beds up on stilts and, you know, basically have a theme and decor. The whole room is more beautiful than my current bedroom. Like, right. <laughs> so <laughs> wild to me. And I just had none of that. And I think the the thing that was good about it is I really had no frame of reference to compare it to. So I didn't, I really was very naively innocent about expectations. And often they talk about how it's expectations that ruin our experiences. I think what they talk about is that present happiness equal, no, 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 here's the equation. Happiness equals present circumstances minus expectations. So when you don't have expectations, there's no way to feel like, oh, I'm sad about this. There was no mm-hmm. YouTube back then. There are no dorm room tutorials. There is no way for me to know what I did not have. And I was just launched out into the world. And um, so I've thought about that. And when you, I didn't realize here Lily's birthday is in September and she's 18. It's like this conflagration of these big intersections from my own life. But the grace is that God is always letting us write new stories. So I actually talked to my own children about this quite a bit because they have this sadness that we live far away from our South African family. And we also live far away from our Midwest family. And when we were home this summer in Michigan, it was really, really special to be with all that side of the family. And Jackson told me afterwards, you know, I couldn't even enjoy that last night when we were all sitting around talking because all I could think was, this isn't our life. We're going to leave. We won't be back for another year. And I said to him, that is true and painful, but here's the thing. We get to write a new story. You and me and Micah and Zoe and dad, we can choose to live near each other. And it's why I don't want you to go to college. And so I finally had a moment to like make my point about how I don't want him to go far (laughs) away. I'm like, if you stay nearby, we get to have, you will have families one day and your kids will grow up with their cousins and we'll all live close. And I'm just praying fervently. He falls in love with a Maryland girl, you know, (laughs) stay here. 
But I do think part of the beauty of making meaning out of our daily lives, you know, growing a daily life that matters is we do get to tell stories in the choices we make as we raise this next generation. What does it look like for them? And I'm very cognizant of that, of my own kids tracking their ages. So Jackson is 16. And so that's the age I was when my mom was diagnosed with leukemia. And it's so strange to look at him now and think, oh my word. And then he would live these next two years before she, me, it would be me. That's so wild passes on. And so it's, I, I feel very much like I mark these milestones because I, I, I want to get him past the age I was. Like I want him to get to 19 and I'm still here. You know, I want him to have a different story than I had. And um, I had such a key moment recently with this, this year has just felt like there are all these milestones. And it's funny because I think sometimes we get lulled into, like we've talked about in the last few episodes, the rut of our routines. And mm-hmm. so when life starts to feel routine, it's easy to stop paying attention to it because you're just going through the motions, you're surviving yeah. daily life. Yeah. But then you have these milestones where someone turns 16 or I had a kid I had to take to the ER last week and it makes you pause and then really look like with both eyes at what's happening. And our middle son, Micah, if you followed me on Instagram, I documented it because it luckily wasn't serious enough um, that I was and I couldn't laugh about it with him. <laughs> so if you're a mother, or even if you're a grandma or an aunt or a babysitter, like you, a teacher, you appreciate these words. When a child walks into a room and then he, and they say these words to you. Now listen, it's not as bad as you think. You immediately know it's much worse. It's, it's, bad. it's apocalyptic. Okay. It's very Whatever bad. Is coming out of their mouth next is going to be really bad. Yeah. So it's like a Thursday night. I'm in the kitchen making dinner. Micah walks in. He's holding his left hand. Luckily, his left hand. Can we just pause? Yes. <laughs> Why? Why is it always in the middle of making dinner? Right. Why? It's never... Right after we finished eating. I mean, of course, it's not, I guess, right. the day, but it's never at a conven- it's never convenient, I guess so is what I'm saying. So inconvenient. And I had worked <laughs> hard on this dinner. Jackson was getting home from soccer. We were all going to sit down and eat. And now a child walks in and he's got his arm in the air. It's wrapped in a dish towel. There's gross blood everywhere. Oh. And I confess, I was like, get out of my kitchen. I'm cooking. Like, this is so gross. Like, get away from me. <laughs> oh, wait, what happened? <laughs> and he goes, then he said the next phrase. So I was doing knife tricks and I was like, everything about that sentence is just a hard no, 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 no. What are you talking about? So he was doing knife tricks. I start to get very angry and he goes, no, no, but I was on a call. This is how I was trying to make it better. I was on a study group phone call at the time. Oh, it's just worse and worse. like, does that cancel it out? Like, somehow, it, like, that does not make it better. It makes it worse because now you're distracted. Like, you're on a phone call. So, every, he goes, yeah, but everybody did see it happen. As if they could vouch for him or something. <laughs> so, anyway, he had some plastic bottle he was trying to slice through with a knife in some fancy way and was shocked, shocked, he told me, that the knife didn't go in the direction he thought it would go in. And as he pushed, it in fact slipped right through the plastic and then managed to sever right between his index finger and his palm. So right where your finger bends, a perfect slice all mm. around the bottom, mm. the half moon, mm. the bottom of the finger. Ugh. So gross. Lots of blood. Disgusting. I <laughs> go ahead. We have gauze. We have all the things. So I tape it up as best I can, but it's tricky because it's where he bends his finger. So how do you tape that? Cause th- like 
anytime you move your finger, it's going to open mm-hmm. again, kind of like mm-hmm. a mouth, you know, like a very gory <laughs> oh puppet. <laughs> so gross. But um, the reason I'm telling all of this is it's, I had, he was funny and we got it wrapped up. And then I talked to my sister-in-law who's a doctor and she said, you know, if it's at the finger like that, you might want to take it in because they might need to put a stitch or two in or glue it or something. And how dirty was the knife and, you know, what kind of shots does he need? So he and I ended up looking for an urgent care and heading out together. And I had posted this picture and shared it with my family where there he is. He's huge. He's like 5'10 now. He's 13 and a half, but he's taller than me. And he has this huge bandage on his hand. And my sister sent me this message. And she said, because I had said, I guess, when I posted it on Instagram, something like, you know, this is the kid who has caused me the most sleepless nights. And here we are. Voila, knife tricks. Like what (laughs) seems appropriate, right on brand. And she wrote to me, was he hard work? It's frightening. I don't even really know him. He looks like a gentle teddy bear. This isn't the first time I read that you had your hands full with him, but I can't imagine why. And then like, Christy, I'm going to hold up my phone and see if you can see. I just sent her back like a stream (laughs) of like emojis of like heads exploding and woe and doom because that perfectly sums up parenting him. And if you're worried about Micah, as I share this story, none of this is a surprise to him. He knows we talk about it, but he was, he was my most challenging child. He pushed really hard against me. And I think that is why though, who he's growing into is so meaningful for me today. And it's not like he's like perfect now. You know, there's no perfect tidy bow just like there wasn't on his finger. And we had to take him to urgent care. And the doctor took one look at it and said, it's a very good you came in and cleaned it and they had to glue it. And then they put a huge cast on his hand so his finger would be immobilized so he wouldn't constantly tear it back open. And then she asked, you know, um, was the knife clean? At which point he said, no, not at all. And she goes, wait, not at all. What do you mean? And he goes, He's just like, how dirty can a knife be? And he's like, this is my knife. I use it for everything. Cutting wood, trees, rocks, dirt, digging in if there's a dead bird, like all kinds of things. (gasps) And she's like, you're going to need to start amoxicillin tonight immediately. (laughs) I was like, wow, good thing we didn't just count on the tetanus shot that you got as part of your vaccinations. (laughs) And I even said to her, she was like... Oh, so your insurance won't cover us giving you the prescription right here. You'll have to go to your CVS or whatever. And I said, oh, that's fine. Can I get it in the morning? And she said, no, you need to take it immediately starting tonight. Oh, oh man. Well, good for her. Wow. So she's great. And it was absolutely the right call. Oh, my goodness. When I look at his finger and he plays a ton of sport. And so it's healing well. The glue is doing what it's supposed to do. He was literally glued back together. He was glued back. <laughs> Deeply <laughs> metaphorical for me. And the reason I'm telling this story is just as encouragement in in our daily lives, you know, and we want our lives to matter a lot. A lot of what we do is what I call invisible work. Nobody sees it. Nobody sees all the hours you've spent being patient with a kid or apologizing to them or instructing them or helping them not to lose their temper. I mean, that's been the story of Micah managing his massive emotions, his inability to process his feelings that manifests as anger or willfulness or completely oppositional behavior. All that you pour into that, nobody sees it. I always laugh how in the movies, 
if there's a hard time a parent is going through, there's this very meaningful montage set to beautiful music. And then even though the mom's alone at three in the morning in the hospital, we are, we're like kind of with her, you know, bearing witness, but nobody sees most of what we do. It's invisible. And, um, and so when you have moments like that where I stood with Micah and I just, what's weird to me, Christy is, and I've been with that kid to the ER quite a bit. But this experience was so full of joy. It was such a strange uh, contradiction because he was, he's just a delight to be with. He's funny and fun and caring and considerate. He is like a gentle giant teddy bear um, who's still a kid who makes bad choices, but I've been there for all of them. Like every single one of them I bore witness to and and it, and it's why it matters, like, because he is me and I am him. And our stories are intertwined in this meaningful way where I said to him, as I'm getting ready to head overseas next week, I'm so glad this happened while I was still here, because I would have been so worried about you if I was out of the country when this happened. And so the things that seem inconvenient are the things, in fact, and that isn't that all of parenting, so much of it feels inconvenient, but they are the things that are building us as parents. They are the things that are forming us and our stories. And so um, that comment I got just made me laugh to think there's somebody out there who might wonder, was was he difficult? (laughs) (laughs) So that you just said that bearing witness. That's really interesting, Lisa Joe, because whether we're parents or not, whether we have kids in our lives or not, We are just through our daily, everyday lives invited to bear witness to certain unfolding stories, right? But I feel like the way we tend to talk about parenting is a little different. So parents are, we, we, uh, we talk about it as, well, you're the one raising them, you're the one shaping them, you're the one forming them, you're responsible for them, you're the one keeping them safe. And And that's true, yes. So our parenting matters, (laughs) being there around these kids, talking to them about maybe, you know, why no knife tricks. It matters. (laughs) Um, But I think one thing I have learned over these, so I said, 18 years, right? A really painful lesson, actually, that I've had to kind of learn over and over, like a constant learning, which is a constant for me letting go, is the sense that I'm called to be faithful to serve these kids without any guarantee of the outcome. Like it's, it's, and, and that actually the outcome isn't maybe even the most important thing. Um, so you're, so I have something new to think about here because I have come to a point again after 18 years where I'm, I'm pretty comfortable. Not, we'll never be perfectly comfortable, but I'm pretty comfortable with the sense that that I don't control <laughs> who my kids will be, the choices they will make as they grow, um, that I, I have influence, but I, I don't control this, and that there is no magic formula, and that there is no actual like promise from God that says, if you do X, Y, Z, right. and one, two, three, everything will be okay, and none of your fears will come true, and your kid will never throw knives or worse or whatever, right? There's, there, we do not get those kinds of guarantees. But I have, I have thought, well, okay, so I can let go of control, but the point of it is still somehow the result. The point of it is still somehow the ending or something. But what you're prompting me to think about is that 
again, it's not either or, some of that is true, but maybe the more important thing is this bearing witness, this daily presence, this daily being with, this privilege really of being the one who witnesses someone's whole beginning to to growing up story, which is what I have now just about done with my oldest, which is bear witness from the time when she was in my belly, <laughs> you know, for other parents, it might be the time when that the baby was placed in your arms, or the toddler came into your home, um, all the way through to these now making decisions about, you know, more adult decisions. Now, you know, I wave goodbye. I don't walk her to the bus. I wave goodbye. She drives off to school. And and what a gift to bear witness to all of that. But I think it's a gift. So I call, I use the word blessing a lot, but I think I, I don't think I use it in the way it tends to get like hashtagged on social media. <laughs> Sometimes it's used for like this amazing thing and it's a blessing. Um, blessings to me, how I experience them, like the richest, best gifts almost always cost us. Like they're hard. They're often painful to receive. And um, yeah, my firstborn, <laughs> she knows these stories too. We talk about it. We have all kinds of stories about what she was like as a little one and all the ways she's still the same. But of course, now it's, you know, the more mature version. Um, but she was not a walk in the park either. She was, I think for me as a mom, kind of a, a trial by fire. <laughs> like I was, I was shaped pretty intensely and it was good. It was good for me. It was so good for me. It was good for me to feel um, that I wasn't, you know, I, I really had to walk through like accepting, oh, maybe I'm, I'm, maybe I'm, maybe mothering is going to be hard. Maybe I'm not a natural. Maybe like, I think a lot of pride was broken down and thanks to my firstborn child. But the point of that maybe wasn't like where she is now. The point of persevering through that maybe isn't just about the ending, but it was about those those days of bearing witness and being able to um, return that to her and just being able like Mary, right? She treasured mm. these things in her heart and to treasure these things in my heart. Um, but that's like a step beyond just letting grow up control, which I think was the first step for me, letting go of that need to have a certain result. So I'm going to be faithful as a mom because I because it will give me this result. Instead to say, I'm going to be faithful as a mom because I love my child and this is what I'm called to do. That was like step two. And maybe step three for me is just being a little bit more present in the moment because I have three more kids. So while my first is 18, I've got three coming up. <laughs> the youngest, I said, just turned nine. And I have lately, especially as my middle two are transitioning right behind Lily into being teenagers, high schoolers, and and already talking about what comes next, I've had weird fears bubbling up. And I think um, I think I need to like pay attention to those in order to send them packing, right? And to be a little bit more present to just being less afraid about where they're headed or choices they might make and a little more present to who they are now. The delight of, you know, my second son at age 12, um, the sweetness of watching my older son get into like teenager fashion and <laughs> you know, the outfits he comes down in every morning and just delighting in that. 
I don't know. Once again, Lisa Joe, just sitting down to talk with you, I feel like, okay, I'm walking, I'm walking away with a, a new lens or a new tool or a new perspective on um, just what is my everyday life with these kids. I remember when Pete and I had Jackson and we were talking about having a second who would turn out to be Micah. I remember Peter said this to me. I've never forgotten it. He said, do you think we're ready to to open our hearts up to this kind of vulnerability again. And he's like, cause now it'll be two, like two ways our lives could be just wrecked forever. Like, and he said, you realize that, right? Like we are now going to take on a second chance that terrible things could come. Like, and I don't mean in his behavior at all. I just mean in the sense of how parents fear for their kids. They fear for, you know, no matter how difficult a child is, it doesn't diminish how greatly we love them and how we fear for them and how they can be hurt by this world that we're in. And I've thought about that often. Like, it's just this cavernous void of vulnerability that you have Mm -hmm. no control over. And it's funny, even talking to my mother-in-law who's coming to stay with our family while I'm overseas, she'll say the same thing. She always says this phrase to me when I tell her these stories. She goes, and it never ends. It never ends. Like, no matter how (laughs) old your kids are, it's why she's coming here to take care of us. It's why right before the show, I got a text message from her saying, hey, can you call me? Can I talk about food for while you're gone? Because she's now preparing for what she's going to take care of my family. Like, it's it's never over. Like, we are constantly forever connected to these humans. And I love that that phrase of bearing witness to their lives because, you know, when they're really little, when kids get hurt, the way they figure out if they're okay or not is they'll look at their parents. Like, how bad is this? You know, and they'll look over at you and often a little toddler who's fallen, if you tell them, oh, you're okay, shake it off. They do, <laughs> you know, they're, they jump up and think to themselves, oh, I, I guess I'm okay. And teenagers will do the same thing, you know, when they walk off the field after a sports game that's been really hard. I'll watch how Jackson wants to process with Peter essentially for that same purpose. So Peter can say, here's what I saw you do. Here's how I thought you played. Like, this is where I saw excellence. We are bearing witness and then reflecting back to our kids the story of themselves, the story of who they are in the context of this family. And I think it's why when you have a part of a family go missing, you know, like a mother, it becomes really hard for kids to have their bearing on who they are. And I know in this past year, there have been lots of families that have been impacted by COVID or by isolation or by not being able to be connected to each other anymore, not travel. And we're all trying to make sense of our stories in the context of daily life. But also then it sort of becomes generational life because you're the generation is impacted by daily life. It's this strange, weird thing where the days can feel so slow. Oh, one of those expressions, right? But the years are so fast and yet it's true. And it's why I think pausing to actually bear witness deliberately like you do around birthdays in September. And I think that's probably why the month feels heavy too, not just because there's the baking and the preparing, but there's the actual intentional reflection and storytelling around each kiddo. Yeah, I'm thinking of that phrase from a novel we both love by a writer we both love, The Weight of Memory. Yes. (laughs) So that novel we both loved by our friend Sean Smucker. But yeah, I feel in September, The Weight of Memory. So I'm actually connecting this conversation now with what we talked about. I think it was last week, Lisa Joe, where we talked about, um, we pictured ourselves sort of at the sink, doing the dishes again, (laughs) cleaning out the refrigerator again, and that rut that we can sometimes feel in our ordinary lives and how 
and how it can be like a kind of spiritual, emotional quicksand that pulls us down really quickly where we feel like, what is the point? I just did this. I'm doing it again. What is the point? And uh, bearing witness <laughs> to, you know, a child's growth can feel a lot like that. And I, not just in the daily things, the little things, but, uh, you know, we walked through a season uh, with one of our our kids as a teen and some really, really hard, hard, painful stuff. And I, I let myself entertain like despairing thoughts in some of those moments in, in the sense that like a, like a, like I, it was, it was a different version of me at the sink doing the dishes again, where I, I just let myself think, what is the point? It's always going to be so hard. It's all, there's just more pain. It never, like that never ends phrase. Right. I was thinking that, but just thinking the pain never ends. The hard right. things never end. Right. We, the, being so vulnerable, the painful things we can experience with our kids as they walk through hard things, or as we walk through hard things as a family, I let myself kind of go into the quicksand of that, of thinking like, oh my gosh, why why does anyone ever have children? <laughs> you know, like, I felt that I, way I'm in Micah's toddler years. I know, yeah, and you had it but, in the teens. Yeah. Yeah, I'm laughing now, but also like, let me tell you listeners, like if that's where you are and you are here with me now, I would sit and cry with you because yes. that is a real, those are real places. So why do I bring that up? Because here again, just as we are talking about having a different perspective on the drudgery, on the on those repetitive daily moments, to try to see the meaning and the opportunity in each one, which may just be as simple as being present with God in that place as you do the dishes. Again, nothing fancy, not like, oh, now I need to multitask and also right. listen to a Bible reading app. No, I mean, you might, that might bring life, that, that could be good, Um but I, I'm just talking about being in the presence of God as as we live a moment, because the only place where we can be with God is in the present moment. I can't, uh, when I think back to the past, I can't go be with God in the past. <laughs> I can only, I'm, I'm with God now. Um, so, same thing, I think, with our kids and with bearing witness, because we're not only bearing witness to the victories and the growth and the sweet times, we're bearing witness to more painful things that, let's be honest, some of it, not all of it, but some of it, they they might forget. Right. They might not even remember, or they'll remember it differently, like, oh, yeah, I remember that, but what, you know, they may not remember it the way we do. They may not carry even the heaviness of it the way we do or the way we will. But to to watch out, I think, for the quicksand in that moment and to say, even now in this, this moment is not forever. This moment is not tomorrow. This moment is right now. And God is here even now. And, uh, and to let that change things. Um, so it's about hope again. Last week ended up being about hope and finding hope in the present moments, even when we're in that rut. And I think, again, finding hope, even when we're in a rut with our relationships, right? Mm -hmm. Relationships with kids, relationships with others, that there is that invitation to invite God into that moment mm. and hopefully then receive that kind of breath of hope and and um and and to remember that just as we said last week like we're not marching 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 toward death and destruction <laughs> we're safe in God's arms and we are walking moment by by moment deeper you know deeper in further up um, into that kingdom he's prepared for us and that's good news and every day we're getting closer and that's good news and the hope of that should hopefully infuse everything right. whether it's the dishes or you know the the harder things with our kids and I think for those of us who do feel alone in those moments like deeply alone I know for years I felt especially alone because I felt like I couldn't 
those experiences are hard and you don't want to out your kid. You you know, you, mm-hmm. you sometimes yeah. you don't feel like your close family. You can't really share the level to which isolating. you're going through that. So it, it's very isolating and lonely. There isn't the movie montage. You don't, I, mean, I literally used to think that like if I was in a movie right now, at least I would feel like there's magical music and an audience who are very <laughs> witness to the, my pain. But you're not, you're alone. You're deeply isolated. And especially now, with social media, where we can't share all those dark stories, it can be especially difficult to look at the rest of the lives out there that seem to have it together. But I'm reminded, though, um, about how Scripture is very clear when he talks about how we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses who have gone before us. And I really believe that. I really believe in our darkest, most isolating moments, heaven bears witness. And when I say heaven, I don't mean that esoteric like a bunch of angels. When when God talks about a great cloud of witnesses, He's actually referring to the saints who have gone through very difficult things, have often been martyred, lost their lives, their loved ones, and they bear witness to what is happening on the earth. And I hope if you're listening, you draw comfort from that and knowing that there are actual saints that one day I think we'll meet, you know, like they will I, I don't know. I'm projecting. I'll use my what they call holy imagination to say, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be wonderful to arrive home in heaven one day, and be greeted by people who you realize now, because you have your whole heavenly mind, aren't strangers to you? That they were there watching and knowing, mm-hmm. and they can run up to you and embrace you and say, "You did it!" You know, we saw what you were doing. You ran the race. You were so faithful. Mm-hmm. You stuck through those hard seasons. For me, that makes heaven feel closer. It feels less like this weird place up in the sky I'm going to go to where I don't know anybody. And instead, there's a sense of as we bear witness to our children or the the difficult things in our lives, there is a heavenly bearing of witness to our own lives. Mm. That is why the daily life matters so much. Yeah. It isn't just a wash, rinse, and repeat. Instead, it actually is a story that's being witnessed um, by a heavenly host. And so I I really hope on this Wednesday, we took you to a place maybe as you wash dishes or drive carpool that reminds you that what you're doing isn't actually in isolation. It is not invisible. It isn't. Um, God and his host of faithful servants who have arrived home are watching you. And I really do believe in some way or form, cheering and celebrating and singing over the good, good work that you're doing. Yeah.